Oh yeah, stand up and shout. Welcome to Band Radio Show, coming to you each Monday and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Black Books Rock. We are more than just a niche. We are a movement, says Ella Curry of EDC Creations. Prepare for the most stimulating conversation on the planet. Sit back, relax, enjoy another mind-blowing literary experience. Give the gift of knowledge. Put your hands together for your host, Ella D. Curry. Vanessa, how many books do you have right now? 
I have written over 50 books, so I'm at, uh, I don't know, I think I'm at about 54 or 55 right now. Wow. So do you have these books in series? Are some of them yeah, in some series? Of my, some of my, most of my books are a part of a series. But what I did, uh, starting in 2022, when I decided to come back to traditional publishing, I've been doing standalone books. Uh, so my my latest books are women's fiction, and um, and this one that that will be releasing is historical women's fiction. Have you ever written any nonfiction books or, like, romance or anything like that? I've written romance, but all of my books, whether it's women's fiction, romance, historical, have an um, inspirational slant to them. I, um, I write Christian fiction, and so, so my romance will have an inspirational slant as well. So how did you begin writing historical fiction? Well, let me tell you, it was a complete surprise to me. I I thought I was just going to keep writing women's fiction once I once I decided to decided to come back in and write women's fiction, and I had a conversation with another author. Um, her name is Lisa Wingate. She had given me a um, an endorsement for my book, Something Good, and she told me about a Facebook friend who who gave her information on this story about the kingdom of the happy land people. And she said, well, Vanessa, you live in North Carolina, and this story happened in, in North Carolina. You might want to research it. And so I began to research about the kingdom of the happy land, and I'm telling you, I fell in love with the story, and I knew I had to write it. it this is a true story. It is. Um, I don't think I I would have come into historical writing if it wasn't um, for a true story just captivating me, and I and it was just something I had to. I wanted people to know about because this story. If you if you Google it, the Kingdom of the Happy Land, it comes up, and but the story has only been told locally so far. My goal right now is to make sure that this story is known nationwide, that there once was a queen in America, and her name was Queen Luella, and she was a black woman right after emancipation. Wow. So how did she come into this kingdom, the land and everything? I've been watching you on social media for a few weeks now, and you went out and visited the place and all of that. Share all of that. (laughs) With the audience, yeah, so here, how did you end up yeah, going so here, there? And tell us about how she got this land and came into uh, this position. Yeah, so here's the thing. So they were enslaved in Mississippi, and once um, slavery ended, they tried to stay on the plantation and, and work, and that didn't work out for them because, of course, it didn't work out for any of them because um, the former plantation owners didn't have the money to pay for services that they were once getting for free. And so they so they then decided to set out on their own. And her husband was a, was a, a preacher on the plantation. And so he believed that God had shown him a place 
that that would be their own, and it was kind of like a, a modern day Moses. And they and they went out and they and they traveled and they they went through Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina. No, I'm sorry, South Carolina, and and up into the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. And that is where they then found the land that they would eventually called the kingdom of the happy land. And so they traveled all through all these places to get to uh, this land. And uh, it was a woman by the name of Sarepta Davis. She had, her husband had had died before, uh, before the end of slavery. And he left her with about 900 um, acres of land. But her, when, when slavery ended, her former slaves, they all left the plantation. Uh, imagine that. None of them wanted to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> so she was in dire straits because they didn't have money, but they had all this land, and they they couldn't work the land. And so here comes William and Luella and William's brother, Robert. And William and Robert were sons of the former slave owner in Mississippi. So Robert passed as white um, uh, uh, during slavery, but he chose to come with them after after slavery. So, so now they find this land that um, Sarepta Davis can do nothing with, and they – they cut down all of these trees and begin to build on the land, and they buy it from her a, a dollar an acre. They own. They end up owning over about 200 acres of this land that spans from one part of North Carolina into South Carolina. And so William uh, was the one who, who said this was this was going to be their kingdom, and so he named it. The, the happy land and it became their kingdom and they they actually had thrones that were um that were built for them in this kingdom and they they people um there uh about 400 people came to live on this land with them and and they those people would come to them for what whatever they needed, and you know they would um the king and queen would hear um you know their their grievances or you know their questions or whatever it it really is it was just like a magical thing to me when I read about this, I couldn't believe it so because I knew it was it occurred in North Carolina, and I live in charlotte i I started doing so much research, and I discovered that the the land that they owned was over by Hendersonville, which is only uh, about two hours away from me. So I I decided I was going to drive there. Now I had to get permission to go on the <laughs> land because it's now owned by someone else, and it's it's very private. And so I I, um, I called. I got permission to come. Um, I told the deeds office I was coming because I wanted to view because they the deed where that shows that they own the land is is actually still there in, in the deeds office. So I went to the uh, deeds office. Uh, there was one book written um, that was nonfiction about the kingdom of the Happy Land people, and it is uh, in the um, Henderson County Library. 
And so that's the only place you can find it. And so I went there to, to view that. But the week I was supposed to go, I still hadn't heard from the people who own the Kingdom of the Happy Land. And two days before um, my trip, they called and they said, yes, you can come on the land. And and the owner, he drove us around and showed us everything. They have preserved as much as they could on this land just in honor of the people who used to live there because it's, like, important to them. They, there is, there's even a sign. Um, the street is named Kingdom Place. That's right. Wow. You know, yeah, about where it used to be. So, so locally, the people know about this, and they know this occurred, but it's it hasn't been told nationally. People don't. Everybody, everybody should know about this story because these people were bold enough and tenacious enough to call themselves king and queen and to build um, their own kingdom after slavery, and you know, and to say that they would no longer be on somebody else's land, but they would have their own. So the title of the book is The American Queen. Are you prepared to read a small passage for us? Okay, hold on. Now, I have something. I don't know how small it is, but I thought you said about five minutes, or do you just want me to read even less than that? Uh, uh, Five minutes is good. Okay. So you um, now, if I go over, you stop me. I grab the passage. Now this this passage is right as they are deciding, as they are getting ready to leave the plantation. So much has happened to them. The, the church is being burnt down, um, and things like that because they're having a lot of problems as they decided to stay on the plantation. But Luella has a lot of hate in her heart because of things that have been done to her. So this is where we start. So are you are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So, um, butter of the roaring flames around them ate at her heart. Black soot stained, stained the front of the church and the parsonage. The windows darkened with smoke, and Luella felt the familiar pang of loss. Robert, um, no, I, I want to skip that. I'm sorry. The smell of burning wood and smoke drifted from the house, causing her eyes to water. Luella wiped out her eyes as she took the blanket over to Robert's wagon. The smoke cleared in the area of the yard. In the peripheral, in her peripheral vision, she saw someone standing under the oak tree. Her eyes focused on him, Overseer Brown. He was holding the loops from the straps that she cut down. Deep, heavy breaths, nostrils flaring with hot indignation. Her eyes scanned the yard. She picked up the biggest stick she could find. Then, like a tornado, she made her way toward her enemy. You the devil. You don't belong on this earth. Luella yelled, pointing her stick at the man who terrorized her for most of her life. She would see him dead. She gripped the stick. He laughed, but she kept coming. You and those demons burnt down our church. You killed my daddy and snatched my mother away from me when you knew I was too young to be without a mother. She swung the stick in the air, making sure it was sturdy enough for the job. If God don't make you pay, I'm going to extract my payment from you this day. No, Luella, get back here. She heard William yell for her, but she wasn't listening for for a voice of reason. Somebody had to rid them of this evil. Overseer Brown leered at her. 
He threw the straps to the ground. You cut these down, didn't you, gal? Die, devil. Luella lifted the stick. She was about to swing it against his bald head when someone grabbed the stick from, from behind her. Strong hands pulled her back, taunting her. Overseer Brown said, I'll to tie you to this tree and beat you right now. Not a soul can stop me. You know that, don't you? William shook a fist in the air. You'll not touch my wife again. Overseer Brown gave William a contemptuous snarl as his eyes bore into Luella like he owned her every thought. You remember how to beg, don't you, gal? The dam broke as Luella let out a guttural howl that expelled the hate that had been bottled in her heart. Let me go. She wrenched, from, she wrenched her arm away from Tommy. With William still holding on to the other arm, she inched closer and closer to Overseer Brown. He ain't worth it, Miss Luella. Tommy said, let's go. You want this beating, don't you? Brown leaped forward, arms extended as he tried to pull Luella to him. William released Luella, then stepped forward. Fist ball tight. He punched the overseer so hard he fell to the ground, holding his jaw and moving his lips about as if something had popped loose. William then stood over him, fists at the ready. My wife doesn't belong to you. I'll kill you before I let you touch her again. The fire continued to rage, but the men put the buckets down and ran toward the cotton field. They stood with William, ready to do damage to the man who had done so much to them. The overseer got off the ground, stumbled backwards, and then turned and started running. Go after him, Luella yelled, pulled her into his arms. She beat on his chest. You got to kill him. If you don't, he'll bring more tragedy upon us. That's not the way, my darling. Eyes ablaze with fire and retribution, she said, I hate him. I hate him with everything in me. You'll never see him again. I promise you that. So get this hate out of your heart. How can you know I won't see him again when he's everywhere, all the time, even in my mind? I'm taking you away from here. This place is no longer our home. At his words, even with all the devastation around him, Luella sighed in relief. She clamped her hands to his face and pulled him so close the tips of their nose touched. For sure and true, say you mean it. I mean it, William told her and hugged her tight. The rain came then, drops beat down on Luella's head, mixed in with tears of bittersweet joy and the taste of loss and better days coming. She wiped away the rain and tears. She wiped away the rain and tears that drifted from her face and into her mouth. Put her into the wagon with Robert. William told Luella's brother Ambrose. She held it. She had emptied out a barrel of emotions on this plantation. But as they rode away, every sensation in her body was numb. This place would take nothing more from her. She would never turn this way again. Wow, I love it. So how can readers get their copies of The American Queen? I know the book isn't out right now, but can they pre-order? Yes, you can pre-order right now. And pre-orders are very important uh, for the success of a book. So please go and pre-order. You can go to my website, 
www.vanessamiller.com, and I have pre-order links on my website. If you order from either Park Rose Books or Riches and Reading, I have pre-order gifts that will be sent to people who, who order from them. But you can also order, you can pre-order from Amazon, you can pre-order from your local um, indie bookstore. Wherever books are sold, you can pre-order The American Queen. And I have uh, promotions for this entire month, the month of December, because I'm encouraging readers to give books as gifts. So I'll be putting all of the links that you mentioned, and your website will be promoted throughout the week. And this weekend, Black Books Weekend, I'll have QR code graphics going up all across the web for people to purchase books. Thank you so, so Vanessa, much. You're welcome. The book is also available in ebook, audio book, um, print, or hardcover. So either format. Awesome, awesome. So, Vanessa, thank you for being a friend to the show. And um, we look forward to reading The American Queen. And I look forward to sharing it with readers this entire month and encouraging people to do the pre-orders and get their copies. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I thank you and appreciate you. So next up, uh, we have Dr. Shantae James, and she's going to be reading and discussing a Kia Taylor mystery, The Locked Room. Welcome to the show, Dr. James. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, you know I am the biggest fan of cozy mysteries. I love a mystery, period, but I love a cozy mystery. So you have a nonfiction book already published. How did you transition to writing a Tia Taylor mystery, The Lock Room, as a cozy mystery? There are very few African-American mystery writers, so it was just an opportunity to follow in those paths that have been laid so very nicely for me um, to just try something new. So I was like, well, hey, let's, let's try this new. The second book that I wrote was a crime fiction, but I really wanted to delve into that cozy, good feeling, read it pretty quick book type. So it was just a blessing. The door was open for me. As a professor at a college, uh, tell us a little bit about how you balance that, writing writing and publishing and traveling, touring, book signings, and teaching. I get very little sleep, I'm told, by the students. <laughs> I send them <laughs> emails at 4 in the morning which they're very used to, and it's always interesting. The best time to reach me is really early or really late. So I think it's a balancing act, um, just trying to make sure uh, that I get everything done in the time frame because there's a lot going on, let's say. <laughs> Are you still doing your podcast? Introduce us to that part. I am still doing the podcast. Uh, the title of the podcast is Women and Justice. And what's phenomenal about the podcast or the reason that I love it is it's a moment and a chance every Friday, a uh, new one posts at 9 a.m. 
just to hear about women and women being the focus. So often, especially in my world, that criminal justice world, the male is the focus and the woman is an appendage. So to have a show that just focuses on women is interesting to me. So I'm really the textbook person. And I talked to someone in the field that's doing the experiential. So the combination of the two is an excellent contrast. I love it, love it. So I will be sharing links throughout the month to your podcast and to your Tia Taylor mystery. So now introduce us to Tia Taylor and her aunt and tell us about the locked room. So this is a spoof on locked rooms. So typically uh, you would go into a room with a group of friends and you would decide, okay, you have a different theme. But in this case, especially since I'm spoofing it, they go into the locked room and there's a dead body and they don't really notice it first. Um, So it's just interesting to me to bring a strong, two strong female characters to the forefront for the audience and also to showcase the relationship between an aunt and a niece. I think so often we forget that aunts have such a powerful voice in their families and they have a lot to offer. So just to showcase that. So it's my tip to the hat to my family and my nieces and nephews to say how much I love them and just to have a spin on that relationship. Okay, so bring your main characters to life. Tell us a little bit about the aunt and the niece, their names, who they are, what they're up to, if they're in college, if they're traveling. Bring your characters to life for us from the locked room. Sure. So the aunt is a college professor. Surprise, surprise, you write what you know. And the niece (laughs) on The niece is on her way to college. Um, So just, which I've experienced with several of my nieces and nephews. So just that time period of being excited and them reaching their goals. So you meet them at that point. And you start to understand, especially for the aunt, because she writes books and um, she tours and stuff, how she deals with fans, how she balances everything, but really how she has that relationship with her niece and the secrets that they share, how protective they are of each other, but also how they will stand there in that moment to protect each other and tell each other the truth sometimes when you don't necessarily hear it. Um, so it's a tip <laughs> and a half to my family and friends when they, because sometimes you don't want to hear the truth. Uh, I'm, I'm big on, sometimes you don't want to hear it, but, they're truly your family and friends, they'll tell you it. So um, it's a it's a nice look at that t- type of relationship. So are you prepared to read a section for us? I am. So this chapter is coming from the Tia character, which, again, is, remember, she's getting ready to go to college. Robert is rumored to have more money than God, so he initially sent my aunt notes and small gifts. Aunt Ray thought nothing of his behavior in the beginning. She just chalked the situation up to a problem associated with publishing a book and dealing with a man with money. After a month, the gifts became more expensive and lavish. 
one afternoon when my mother was talking to Aunt Ray on their periodic touch-based phone call, I found out more details. What did he send this time, my mother inquired with curiosity, her eyes dancing with intrigue. Gifts from Tiffany's, said Aunt Ray. Gifts? More than one? He is quite interested in you and knows that you have expensive taste, my mother commented her lips curling into a fly. Mom, maintaining her knowing expression, responded, the gift was not cheap. Mm, said Aunt Ray with a hint of mystery. Why are you sending it back? You know that you can keep gifts, said Mom, laughing. She then looked around the corner and said, stop listening to this conversation, Tia, and looking at my mouth, I can see you. My mother was often the only person that really noticed me in a room often blended into the crowd or went unnoticed. I can be uh, um, in the background at times. How could she see me? I was standing around the corner. I was waiting to be invited into the conversation. I bet she noticed my perfume. She told me last week she liked the new scent. It was Aunt Ray's new line. She would tell me about the conversation with Aunt Ray later but I had gotten so engrossed that I probably walked closer to her. I wanted to add my input and get some clarification about some points. Aunt Ray talked so loudly that I could hear most of the conversation. I typically was allowed to add to the conversation, and my mother never had problems with me talking, but this time seemed different. My mother told me later that Robert had given Aunt Ray a bracelet and necklace from Tiffany. I knew she would tell me eventually. Aunt Ray sent both items back because she said it was inappropriate and too expensive. I would have kept them both, as my mother suggested. I had expensive taste also, but people interested in me could not afford my taste on their allowance. Aunt Ray told me that I should focus on getting myself gifts and that women do not need to look for Prince Charming to save her. I told her I wasn't looking for a person, but I had no problem getting a gift from anyone. I'm open to gifts. Aunt Ray didn't think that that comment was funny. Robert recently tried to kidnap Aunt Ray in front of a bathroom at Walmart. I'm actually worried about her. She lives alone. The incident at Walmart was after she returned several of his gifts. He insisted that she should go with him. I do not think that he was he really had a plan beyond starting a conversation with her and suggesting somewhere to go. The situation went less quickly when he re, when she refused to continue the conversation over coffee or whatever he told her he wanted her to go. The incident made my aunt question whether he had followed her to Walmart or just bumped into her as he said. If Walmart wasn't on her agenda, she had already set a specific time for a swift in and out mission. People underestimate her commitment to her plan. Time management is one of her mantras. She runs a strict house when I visit. You would think that she was still in the military sometimes, but she gets so much done in one day. I feel confident that she set aside a certain amount of time for each errand that day. She has her standing appointment on Saturday, and she would not give up that slot to anyone, not even me. 
It is hard to get and keep a standing nail appointment at a high-end salon, especially since their nail technician's schedule was packed for most of the year. Aunt Ray typically has her appointment scheduled six months six months ahead. She was not on board with being taken that day, especially when he would not let her arm go. I can only imagine the facial expressions he had given Robert once she realized that he was holding on tight. Instead of calling the police, she called her sister, who was seven hours away. She shouted into the phone, he will not let me go. Of course, my mother responded, who? Who will not let you go? This resulted in everyone in the house coming to the kitchen and my mother putting Aunt Ray on speaker. What's going on, asked Mom. We're all shouting in the background. Several of my brothers shouting, started shouting and told Aunt Ray that they were getting in the car and coming now. Aunt Ray screamed, fire, let me go, let me go. Of course, you want to know what happens next, but I'll leave it there. I was just getting into the story. <laughs> I was just getting all in, waiting to see how that turned out. Okay. So now that the book has um, released, and I've seen you have done a few signings and interviews, how can our Black Books Weekend readers and listeners support you? Sure. Um, the best way to reach me would be on my webpage, which is sites, which is s-i-t-e-s dot p-s-u dot e-d-u backslash my first and last name, Shantae James. So on the sites page, you'll get on and then you can click and then we'll put you on the mailing list so you get the information. Um, the other way to reach me would be at TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Insta. Um, I'm not the best at any of those, but I do respond to you. And then to actually get the book in your hands, I would strongly, 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 strongly encourage you to come out to one of the book signings, which I have one tomorrow at Webster's Bookstore and Cafe in State College area. So I, and it starts at 11. It's always nice to kind of interact with indiv- individuals, hear what's going on with the podcast, sign your book, and then during my presentations and book signings, I talk about the work and do some exercises with people. So I always encourage people to come out to those events and see it. You can get my the books because they're all out now, and I do have three of them. Uh, you can get them at your local bookstores, um, but the probably the fastest besides getting them personally from me would be through Amazon. So will there be other books in the tier? Taylor Mystery Series, will it will it become a series? Yes, it is, and thank you so much for asking that question. This will be a standing series, which will come out every November the 14th. So every 14th of November, we'll have a new one. It's the Tia Taylor series is a short series, a really, I call it down and dirty, meaning that you can pick it up on Friday and be done. If you're a person like me, I'll probably be done that Friday night because I just, if I like something, I'm reading it. Um, but uh-huh. the whole thought is read it during that weekend. So you can take a moment. I And one of the reasons I wanted this one to be short, people can take a moment to step away from reality and get involved with the characters. And I think there's a, a sense of solace in knowing you'll see them every year. 
I travel a good bit and commute a lot. So I like a book that I can just dig into and read in a day. If I'm traveling all that day and I'm going to a hotel at night before an event, I like having a book that I can just really get into and read. And Cozy Mysteries is one of my favorite genres. So uh, Dr. Shante James has been discussing her book, A Tia Taylor Mystery, The Locked Room. You can, if you're following the band radio show or following Ella D. Curry or Crown Holders on social media, you will see graphics with a QR code to her site and to Amazon. You can scan those with your phone, and you'll be able to shop for the books throughout this Black Books weekend. So, Dr. James, thank you so much for taking time to join us during Black Books weekend. This is your first one with us, but give us your website information one more time before we move to Cheryl Lister. Thank you so much. It's Sites, which is S-I-T-E-S dot P-S-U dot E-D-U backslash Shantae James is all one word. Um, and I'll send you right there. And as you click through the site, we have um, a link for the mailing. So I encourage you to do this. And thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So band radio show family, next up we have Cheryl Lister. She's a friend of the show. She's been with us for many years. She'll be discussing her book, No Reservation. But I want to take this time to ask you to tell at least 10 people on social media or in your immediate network about Black Books Weekend. We're encouraging people to celebrate with books, to pass our books in your nursing homes, your halfway houses, give your kids books as part of uh, their Christmas, uh, give the gift of knowledge this holiday season. So now we have Cheryl Lister. She's going to be discussing No Reservation. Hello, Cheryl, and happy holiday. <laughs> hey, Miss Ella. Happy holidays to you. So glad to be chatting with you again. I know it's good to have you back. I wish I could be at some events and see you in person, but maybe by uh, maybe by April I can travel again. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Maybe I'll be able to travel by April too. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, Cheryl, I, I mean, yeah, Cheryl, how many books do you have now? Ooh, thirty thirty-five. 35. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So you write for more than one house? I, at this point, yes, I do. I write, right now I'm writing for Hachette Books under their Forever line. And then um, this No Reservations, my women's fiction is under HarperCollins, under their line, their, their Harper Muse line. Have you ever self-published? I have my indie stuff, girl. <laughs> Oh, you do? Okay, so you do self-publish some of your books. Oh, yeah. I have probably maybe half of those books are self-published. <laughs> so wow. I'm half and half here, yeah. So do you write full-time or do you work and write? No, I write full-time now because, so, you know, I, I was retired, uh, forced on retirement because of my back issues. So 
I can't go back and be my normal occupational therapist, which is what I did for over 20 years working with my babies. So I can't, you know, play with the kids no more. So I have to just write. <laughs> okay. So it's a good trade-off. Though. Write, it's a good trade-off. It, it really is because you're, you're living out your passions. This is something you're Both passionate passions. about. Both so, passions but work because my occupational therapy work with my kids was my passion too, you know. So not a lot uh-huh. of people can say that they've had two careers that were their passion. So um, I'm just blessed in that respect. So I don't take it for granted. Well, when you write full time, and this is now your job, how do you plan that out, apply that out? Do you get up and say, I'm going to write from 9 to 5 today, or do you just let the spirit move you? Let's just have the spirit moving me. And for some reason, see me, I'm not an early, I'm not an early morning person at all. So most of my writing is probably in the afternoon and at night because there have been nights where you know I'm up till two, two thirty, three. Yeah, my husband will turn over and like you are still up. He's like, yeah, books do. So, which is what I will be doing tonight. But, but up, books do. <laughs> so tell me about no reservation bring this book to life tell us about the characters who they are how they living bring no reservations to life okay so in no reservation this is actually my debut women's fiction so you know doing a little step aside from straight romance right now and this story will be it's like when one woman dies and she leaves her best friend her three best friends with a final wish for them to take their girls trip to Jamaica that they've been putting off for a lot of years. But, you know, trying to get to that trip, uh, there's a lot of stuff in between there because there are marriages that are crumbling, there are businesses that are kind of mm, about to up end and a new love on the on the horizon. And you know that I can't step away from romance all the way, so I have some <laughs> romance somewhere. But <laughs> And so these three ladies, Joy, Diane, and Rochelle, are going to have to leave on each other, you know, a whole lot because they've been besties since they were kids. And so this book is really about friendship and sisterhood, a lot of that. And then, you know, just being there through those highs and lows. And then also with each one of these ladies being at a crossroads in their life to be able to to take the risk to make the leap without reservation. So the title, No Reservations, to be able to live that way without reservation. Yeah. Are they young women or middle-aged? They're 38 years old. So these women are 38 years old. Each of them, they're best friends. They're 38 years old. Two of them are married and having some trouble. One is a single mom. So Joy and Diane are married, uh, and Rochelle is a single mom of a teenager, so a teenage girl, so you know how that looks, teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, she's been down the road of love before and not sure she wants to take that road again. But there's a really nice guy hanging out there wanting to, wanting to love her. <laughs> so is this part of a series or a standalone book? It's completely standalone. Okay. So are you prepared to read from this book? And mine is going to be a little short excerpt, though, because I was like, okay, there's no way I can, like, give you <laughs> there are all these chapters that are, like, super long. So I'm going to read the prologue, so that way you get a little sense of where each of these women are. It's kind of okay. their issue-ish of sorts. So, okay? Okay. And it's actually going to be from Yvette's point of view, so the friend that has passed away. So it will be from her point of view. 
Yvette Stevens wished she could be having this conversation from the comfort of her home, but life had other plans. A wave of pain hit as she tried to adjust herself. Her husband rushed over to help, and she gave him a grateful smile. Joseph had been her rock since high school, and she loved him with every beat of her heart. I'm good, babe, she said with a small smile. How she wished they had more time. Yvette stared at the three women surrounding her hospital bed with tears in their eyes. Best friends since age eight. They had laughed, cried, and seen each other through every challenge life threw their way. No crying aloud, or at least save it until I've had my say. They smiled at her. I just wanted you to tell you how much your friendship has meant to me all these years. You've been the best sisters of the heart a girl could have. She reached for Joy's hand. Joy, your mama named you right because you've been that and more to me. You've sacrificed your dreams long enough, sis. It's time for you to start that business because every woman needs a place of respite. Joy laughed through her tears and gave Yvette's hand a gentle squeeze. I know, and I promise. Yvette shifted her gaze to her second friend. Diane, you've been the best godmother to Ebony and I, and all three of you have, and I know you'll be an even better mother. Jeff will come around. Just keep working on him. Diane's pained gaze met Yvette's. I'm working on him, one way or another, she added with a wry smile. Rochelle, Yvette started. Before she could continue, Rochelle lifted a hand. I already know what you're going to say. Joy laughed. Probably the same thing we've all been saying. Yvette chuckled and moaned in pain. Ooh, girl, don't make me laugh. Still, girl, I know your sorry ex is enough to make a woman stay single for the rest of this life and the next. But you're a beautiful woman and you can't do that. Warren is a good man and he really likes you. Rochelle raised an eyebrow. How do you know? I asked. What did you think? Let him in, sis. He can love you like you deserve to be loved. She grasped Rochelle's hand. I'll see. Yvette gave her a look. Hey, it's the best I can do. Joy and I, make sure she doesn't mess it up. We will, they chorus. Watch out for Joe and my babies, okay? And if he finds somebody else, be nice to her. She smiled at Joe. Well, unless she's a gold-digging heifer. Oh, one more thing. We never got around to taking that trip back to Jamaica. Don't put it off any longer. Make those reservations and take that trip. Joe returned her smile, bent to kiss her, kiss her softly, and stroked her brow. That's enough, baby. You've given a belly full of advice tonight. Staring up into his eyes, she felt his pain as surely as the pain coursing through her own body. I know. I just want my girls to enjoy their lives and live to the fullest like we talked about while growing up. And we promised we'd go back. I need y'all to take that trip, sister, she said once more. They'll be fine. We all will. Yvette didn't believe him for a minute. Her eyes drifted shut. Lord, she was so tired. And then that's it. You got to read the rest. Oh, why I was getting all weepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you you get a little glimpse into each one of the women's struggles that they're having, so. So was this based on anything real or just one of your stories that you craft so brilliantly? Yep, it just popped in my head in the middle of the night one night, you know, when those 3 a.m. you're supposed to be sleeping, like, ooh, I should write up a story about best friends, and they didn't take this trip, and such and such, and I was like, oh, my gosh, go to sleep. 
<laughs> but it wouldn't leave me alone. So, I mean, and the story, it took a long time for this story to find a home and to actually come to fruition because I think, I, I think it was like 2019 or 20 when I first mentioned it to my agent because we have planning meetings every year and she wants, you know, she says, okay, what are you thinking about this year, right? And I says, well, you know, I kind of want to move into women's fashion. I don't know. And so I was giving her things and I was telling her all the different book ideas I had. And then I told her this and she said, stop that one, do that one. <laughs> so it's, uh, so I'm so grateful that it has found a home with Harper Muse. And I hope that, you know, readers will enjoy the ride, you know, this, this, you know, the highs and lows, the laughter, the tears, because it will, you will cry, you will laugh, you know, you'll be mad, you want to throw something, if you get all the emotions, so. And we need books like that, because sometimes you want to just escape from all that's going on in your busy world and get into a feel-good story with a lot of different narratives. I love a good book where I can get to, you know, I laugh, I cry, I'm mad. I like that. Mm-hmm. And you will. You probably will, because, like I said, there's a couple of marriages on the rock, so folks are going to be throwing something at a couple of these husbands, so. <laughs> No lie. (laughs) So we're talking to Cheryl Lister, and we're discussing her book, No Reservations. So, Cheryl, what is your website, and how can people get their copies of this book and and copies of your backlist as well? Actually, you can just hop to my website. It's CherylLister.com. You can put the www dot in front of it. That's her first and last name, and click on my books, and all the list of 35 books are there for your perusal. And for this particular book, you can find it at any of your favorite retailers. Um, you can also, if your favorite, I really, really, really encourage you, if there's an indie store in your neighborhood, there is one here in Sacramento. It's called Underground Books. And so if you pre-order from her, Mother Rose would be more than happy because I love to support, you know, these indie stores, especially black indie stores. And she is a black indie. This is a black indie store, Underground Books here in Sacramento. But any of your indie stores, please support them because they really, really need our support to keep their doors open. So I will go to her site and find the book, and that will be the QR code that I'm sharing for the rest of the month and do okay. um, during the rest of this Black Books Weekend. I most definitely will go and find that and use it. So, Cheryl, thank you for being a friend to the show and being one of my EDC Creation supporters. I love you much, and I'm looking forward to getting Hello. my copy of this book. I'm going to order it as soon as I get off the show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. And then, you know, we have to chat about it when we, you know, when it comes out in January. So it's the short stores January 9th. So get ready. And by the way, if you pop on my page, on my Facebook page, author Cheryl Lister or just Cheryl Lister on my personal page, you will see that I'm actually doing a giveaway, a pre-order giveaway right now that ends on next Friday the 8th. And it's for a reader lover's gift box. And there's some goodies that will be in there. So you might want to, you know, take a look. And guess what, listeners, band radio fans, this is so funny. I'm actually drinking out of a mug Cheryl gave me years ago. <laughs> I'm While you were reading, I was drinking cranberry juice out of this mug you gave me maybe five years ago. 
That's a long time ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I got some updated ones now, Miss Ella. I'm going to get you a new one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, because I'm going to get in on some of these giveaways. Well, yeah, well thank you. Do. Well, thank you so thank much you for so joining much. us. <laughs> oh, I love I love having you, and I appreciate all you do for this community. And thank you. Thank you for having me on your show again. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Okay, so I hope you'll stay on and listen to new author D.W. Brooks that's coming up next. Okay, so Band Radio Show family, this is Black Books Weekend. This show is geared totally toward introducing readers to new authors and for our friends to the show to bring their new books to the spotlight. Tonight we have an author that's new to Band Radio Show family. Her name is D.W. Brooks, and she's going to be discussing her fiction book tonight, and the title is Homecoming Chaos. So, D.W. Brooks, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And so now (laughs) you're part of the band radio show family. I thank you. I'm looking forward to it. So how did you get into the writing world? Had you always been writing and reading, or was it a challenge or dare? How did you get here? Um, I actually, I'm a, I'm a big reader. I, I read lots and lots of books as kids. My parents had to clear off the breakfast table because I would read every box and bowl that was on there. Um, and I actually wanted to become a writer when I was eight years old. And my cousins and I, um, we actually started writing books then, but since we were eight and nine, we really didn't understand what a complete book meant. So we would, we had a whole lot of half-completed stories. And since we were eight and nine, we kind of did it for a little while and decided to move on. Um, I continued to want it, want to write, but then I. Um, decided to take a different track and ended up becoming a physician. And um, I have I have a kidney transplant. So um, when I started having issues with that, I spent a lot of time, uh, I couldn't practice medicine anymore or do any a lot of the things I've been doing before. And I found myself sitting on the bed a lot and I decided to um, start writing again because I had a character, the lead character in my story, Homecoming Chaos, that had already come into my head, but I just hadn't done anything about it. And so I started writing while I was waiting for a transplant. How long did it take you to write it? A year or two? Oh, it took me longer than that. (laughs) It took me a lot longer than that. Oh, wow. So did you sketch out the characters and plant Oh, no, her call dropped. Okay, so until D.W. Brooks calls back in, I'm going to chat with you for a minute. Her call dropped. Black Books Weekend. Okay, she's back. I'm back. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) Uh, No worries. Look, this band radio show family knows about technical things. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, but... um... That's why I started writing probably in 2014, but like I said, I wasn't 
the healthiest at that time. So it took a lot of time to write it. And then I did get a transplant in 2017. And so I took that time to get healthy. And then I had some other family issues come up, like I started taking care of my father and um, the pandemic came, et cetera, and so on. And finally, I set a deadline and said, all right, this book must be done and edited and published by basically November of 2023. So that was my goal. So did you sketch out your characters and, and, and create a whole outline, or did you kind of just fly by the seat of your pants and just let the spirit move, yes, as sure? <laughs> um, I, I sketched out a little bit. The, the lead character, um, I sketched her out pretty well because um, if you talk to any of my family members, uh, she's a lot like me, except she's a lot messier. But um, they 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 knew that that the lead character was me, and I had a basic idea of where I wanted the story to go, and then I just started writing. And so I was flying by the seat of my pants at that point. So I, I, has I tend the to book, do a lot of editing. Has the book released? Ahead, yes, uh, it was um, released on November twenty first. Uh, so oh. last week before last, yes. Okay, so we're going to make a big deal out of this by sharing it all of Black Books Weekend with a QR code. So how this event works is we go across social media sharing graphics with a QR code, and people can scan that code and purchase books. And every night of the show, we ask the readers to go take to social media and tell at least 10 people about Black Books Weekend and the authors they meet, the community leaders. So we'll make a big deal out of this being your new release. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I mean, I'm really excited about it. It's, um, given where I started when I was a kid planning on writing, it's just such an incredible feeling to actually um, be a published author right now. I'm pretty excited. Will there be other books coming pretty soon? Um, maybe not. I'm going to write a lot faster than I wrote this first one. Uh, my goal is to have one come out every year. I um, also have a, a novella that's available on my website that's basically the prequel to Homecoming Chaos. So my, I think my goal is, is to have a book, a novel come out every year and a novella to come out in between each book release. Now, that's a smart move to give people something while they're waiting because it used to be when I first came in this industry many moons ago that an <laughs> author would be, you know, it would be a year. You would have to wait a year and sometimes two right. years. Uh, but now that they have Kindavella where you can do short yeah. stories, it's been really fun because now yeah. we can get something in between. Yeah, and I – since um, Homecoming Chaos is romantic suspense slash mystery, so I'm a big mystery person as well, I, I found that the, um, the novellas aren't going to be as much mystery. So it gives you a little bit of time to kind of dig a little bit more into the character and um, the character and her family, I guess. So I, I, I enjoyed writing the novella as well. Okay. 
Okay. So tell us about Homecoming Chaos. Tell us who your main characters are and bring them to life. Are they tall? Are they skinny? Are they educated? Are they rich? (laughs) Tell us who they are and and where they're taking up space in this world. (laughs) Um, the The story is based in Atlanta. And my main character is Jameson Scott. She is a dermatologist by training. Um, four years ago, which is when my novella was um, was based, uh, she had a falling out with her mother. She broke up her broke off her engagement, canceled a wedding, and quit a job, and moved left the country for four years, um, with, and only spoke to her younger brother, uh, just because of the family dynamics. And in Homecoming Chaos, she is just coming back home, um, decided that she wanted to try to repair the relationships that she kind of burned on her way out of town. But before she got a chance to really get into that, um, an employee at her parents' business uh, was killed on, on company property. So she basically walks into a murder mystery involving her family. So she still has the family issues that she really hadn't dealt with, plus there's the murder, plus there's a very cute detective who's investigating her family. So she has a lot of stuff going on when she gets there. (laughs) Now, when you say cute detective, that's going to make this real interesting. Yeah, it, it's they, they're obviously they have, they're somewhat at odds because he's investigating the case and wants to do it by the books, but you know this involves her family, and so she wants to solve it or figure out what's going on and not necessarily do what he needs to have done. But he is cute, and he thinks she's cute as well, so it makes the dynamics very complicated. Are there any underlying plots outside of this main one? Um, the, the family issues are a main are a pretty large plot because she has a younger sister who, um, when she left town, she didn't even tell her younger sister she was leaving town. And at the time, her younger sister was planning uh, wedding events for her, and she just left. I I can't say that Jamie was the uh, nicest and most considerate person when she left town. So there's a lot of things that she needs to correct. And um, the relationship with her mother, the problems in her mother, the relationship with her mother extend back way longer than four years. Um, the backstory on Jameson, she was a model when she was a teenager, and she uh, made a large mistake while she was there, and her mother has never really trusted her. She's you know, right now she's 34 years old, and her mother acts as if she is incapable of making any decent decisions on her own. So she's kind of always in her business and always criticizing. So they have to kind of fix that if they actually want to have a relationship moving forward. There's also uh, questionable people working at their business. So there's lots of just things going on at the things going on in a book, and a lot of them actually come together. Uh, when we're trying to solve the mystery. Okay. I'm excited to hear this reading. So I'm ready for, I'm ready (laughs) to hear a reading from Homecoming Chaos. So set the scene. 
and tell us okay. what you know what's going on, who's speaking, and you can take off reading. I'm gonna mute myself so you get a good okay. clean read, and I can settle into it. Okay. Um, this this is a portion of 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 Homecoming Chaos where um, Jameson is home now, and they are they have just found the dead employee in the parking lot and the police officers have come to the house to notify them and get some information. Jamie found the elder Scott still in her robes and two police officers and two detectives in the living room. Dr. Scott, what can you tell me about Miss Thorne? Why was she at the lab after hours on a Friday night? A tall, handsome Caucasian detective named Nicholas Marshall was asking the questions. The other detective, a shorter, older African-American man named Donald Dixon was taking notes. Her parents sat on the couch. The inquiring detective sat in an upholstered chair across from them, and the other detective leaned against the door jam. Everyone's head snapped towards the doorway when Jamie entered. She was glad she had stopped to put her hat on before entering the room. Margaret jumped up to introduce her daughter to the officers and detectives, and Jamie then plopped down next to her father on the sofa. What's going on, she whispered to her father. The interruption annoyed Nick. But he returned to his line of questioning. Dr. Scott, is there some reason she was at the lab so late? Gregory shook his head with a stricken expression on his face. I do not know, Detective Marshall. I left the lab early today. I was only there for a couple of hours. My wife is having a party on Sunday, so I came home. Also, my daughter, Jameson, was coming home after four years, so I don't know why Rachel returned to the building after work. She wasn't on the schedule. Margaret, do you know? He turned to his wife. Margaret had regained her composure and faced the detective calmly. I didn't go in at all today. However, Rachel was in the habit of going out after work to happy hour. Margaret emphasized her words with air quotes. Perhaps she met someone unsavory while she was out. You said someone found her in a car in the parking lot, correct? The detective responded in the affirmative. We need to see your security feeds. The security guard on duty had gone home by the time the Good Samaritan found the body. We sent officers to locate him. I need you to come with me and let us into the lab. Perhaps she went inside after hours and left some clues about what she was doing. Gregory and Margaret both stood up. Let us get dressed. We will follow you down there and give you whatever you need, Gregory said. Wait, wait, hold on. Do you have a warrant? Do we need an attorney? Jameson stood up too. She was almost as tall as the detective, incredibly pretty up close, which caught him off guard. Aren't there proprietary issues at the lab? Nick paused and deferred to Ronald. Ronald chimed in. We're just trying to get information about this woman's death. You can call a lawyer if you wish, but retaining one may slow things down. Hmm. Jamie stared at both detectives. She couldn't read either of them, but the situation gave her pause. She recognized the importance of finding out what had happened to their employee. However, the family business needed to be shielded as much as possible. Jamie hadn't been back home, and her brain was still cloudy and jet-lagged, but she recognized potential perils in just letting the police roam free in the lab. Dad, mother, someone should call Richard, she said, scrutinizing both parents. Margaret said, good idea. I'll call while I change. He can meet us there. She gave the detective and the other officers a superior glance. Richard Bradshaw. He's a partner at Bradshaw, Taylor, and Klein, and he is our son-in-law. She turned to walk into the master suite with Gregory following. Nick shook his head 
and Ronald was less subtle with a steady scowl. Both had heard about Richard's firm and peripherally knew Richard. This situation just got a lot more difficult. Nick didn't suspect the family, but involving a lawyer usually complicated their police work. He turned back to Jamie, who was studying his reaction. He adjusted his face so she couldn't sense his annoyance. Jamie noted the subtle change and smiled to herself. She could tell that she had annoyed him. Even annoyed, he's pretty cute. I need to get my coat, if you'll excuse me, she said, heading back to her bedroom. Upstairs, Jamie changed clothes, retrieving a pair of skinny black jeans from her bag. As she slid into her jeans, her mind wandered to the detective. She typically dated guys that were taller than her, with her ex-fiance being the lone exception. Eddie had been the same height. A strong jaw, wavyish hair, nice lips, and a commanding presence, which Jamie suspected detective had in spades, didn't hurt either. Just the type of guy she would typically go for if the circumstances were different. Rifling through the dresser, she found a white Henley shirt she had left on a previous visit. She had gained almost 15 pounds since then, and the shirt fit snugly. She now had boobs. Placing the hat back on her head, she was glad she had an appointment at the hair salon later in the day. Yikes, she thought after catching herself primping in the mirror. Am I trying to impress the detective who's investigating us? Girl, it has been a long time, although he is hot. She shook her head exasperatedly. As she headed out, she remembered to grab her coat. And to see what happens next, you need to read the book. I was really getting into that story. I love it. You have a great voice. You might should do your own audio version of this book. You have a great reading voice. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I That's actually something I'm considering because I, the book's available in paperback and Kindle and an EPUB, and I have been tossing around whether I wanted to um, go back and add an audio book at some point it would be good because right now a lot of people audio books have really taken off at this time i mean people are really getting into them i know you know i work from home so i listen to them in the background while i work almost every day okay all right yeah i have to think about that i i'm uh i like having the book in my hand I don't, and so I, I like having a book in my hand I, just because I like going back and if I see, you see a passage that I really enjoy, I like going back and reading it again and thinking mm-hmm. about it. So, and, you know, so for me, I probably always, um, but I have to move on with the times. So I have to move on. Other people like audiobooks. When you got eight bookcases, six feet tall in your house <laughs> full of books, it, it, you got to Look for other resources. I have moved myself out of this house with books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting close to that now, but I usually just ask my husband to find a spot to put another bookcase. So we're we're kind of putting them in corners, and I'm double stacking <laughs> them on on the bookshelves I do have. We'll probably never see me taking one of those pretty pictures where people show their really nice writing nook with all the neat books. My books don't look like that because they're just all <laughs> on the shelf. When I take pictures to go on social media, I have my signed bookcase because that's the only <laughs> one that's aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> I need to go back and do that. 
because none of mine are aesthetically pleasing right now. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Dominique D.W. Brooks, how can readers find out more about you, and where can they go and get Homecoming Chaos? Um, they can find out more about me on social media, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, and Instagram. Uh, my uh, my handle on Instagram and um, Facebook are the same, and that's author D.W. Brooks. Um, I also have a website that's called authordwbrooks.com, and you can uh, join my newsletter, uh, learn about new events, and also purchase a book there. Um, I'm selling there. I If you buy from there, you get an autographed copy of the book, um, and you can also get it on Amazon. And Barnes and Noble. Okay. I got mine. Um, I got mine. Let's see. I've had it a minute, so I'm looking mm-hmm. forward. I'm taking off for a whole week, so I'm oh. going to take off and read the book. And we're bringing you back to do a, a, a solo show, so we can okay. do a spoiler show discussing all that I read and how I felt about the book. <laughs> Cool. No, that would be fun. Like I said, I um, this was a true labor of love, so I'm looking forward to being able to actually talk to the talk through the details of it with somebody else besides me. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for anybody else. Okay, so we will be scheduling your book launch party on Band Radio Show, and then readers can get to ask you questions as well. So thank you, Dominique D.W. Brooks, for joining us and reading and sharing about Homecoming Chaos. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to coming back again soon. Okay, take care. So Band Radio Show family, Now we have Mark Lacey that's going to be joining us to talk about his Whiskey House trilogy. Um, uh, Mark Lacey is a friend to the show. So one of the first books in the Whiskey House trilogy was called Curse of the Whiskey House. I'm going to play a reading from Curse of the Whiskey House that Mark created for us, and then we're going to go into a uh, reading and short interview with Mark on the latest, his um, new book from the series, The Curse of the Whiskey House, the Whiskey House Trilogy. So now let's jump into this reading from the first book before we talk to Mark live. Greetings, my name is poet author Mark Lacey, and my new book is called Curse of the Whiskey House, When Life is the Principle and Death is the Practice. The book is purchasable via marklacey.com, that is M-A-R-C-L-A-C-Y.com, or Amazon.com, in trade paperback or Kindle format. Curse of the Whiskey House is the first book of a trilogy called the Whiskey House Trilogy. This book is an action-packed page-turner, and it is sure to draw every emotion known to man out of view. Curse of the Whiskey House is unique in that it has two narrators, of which the second is a character named Rufus, who doesn't interact with any of the characters, but he knows all of their business. Here's Rufus now. If Jesus could save Lazarus again, I guess I would have to put the bottle down. Well, at least for a day. Shoot, let me quit lying. Sometimes I don't know what's better, 
straight jack shots or moonshine samplers. I even drink moonshine and jack bottle and jack from a moonshine pitcher. Hell, it's all whiskey. And if you were drunk like me, it don't matter. Well, on second thought, it do matter. Because there was nothing like the moonshine that Lula Mae Gertha Jones used to make in that old whiskey house on Turner Road. The Buffalo soldiers would come through and fetch a good nip and be on their way. Matter of fact, World War II was a good time for me. After I enlisted, I never went into battle or shot one gun. I reckon it was preparing me for these recent gun law debates or something. But I showed shotgun me some whiskey. Yes, sir. Private Rufus McClendon, that's me. Supposed to have gone out to Arizona with the 92nd Infantry Regiment and then into the Pacific to fight. But I never made it out of the state because that bottle wouldn't let me go. Well, that was over three scores, though. It's needless to say, I'm still a private room. Wandering around Lazarus and Hawthorne County. But that old whiskey house ain't been the same since. I mean, I can't judge the soul the ways I've been my whole life. But good God Almighty, I know a foul odor when I sniff one. And let me tell you, the stench is badder than death itself. I guess when the whiskey house died, it left a bad spirit. And that spirit is doing something to this town. Lazarus, Alabama, located in the northeastern part of Hawthorne County in the west central part of the state. Got just the right history, climbing, and bad people for a perfect spooky story. I don't believe in them goblins myself, but boy, when something wicked takes over, it takes over. People won't talk about it, but it's there. It all started when Lula May's grandson used to roll to the whiskey house with us. Now, young Jackson Jones seemed like he was ordinary-minded, but I said all alone, there's something funny about that lanky boy. Lula May raised him as best she could, raised him in that old whiskey house. In 65, Jackson went into Vietnam as a sniper and has been sniping ever since. Got an eye like an eagle and he still loves to shoot skeet, throw them arrows, and would take your tax money in a game of horseshoes. He mostly mild-mannered, but would snap like a twig if someone drove him to that point. I believe he got that PDSD or PPDD or PTSD or whatever they call it. Jackson even part of a local hunt club, too. Some folks think the hunt club is like a secret militia. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's how a 70-year-old preacher can keep his aim sharp, I guess. Now, with all that, he also inherited Lula May's gift of gas. Yes, sir. That boy was good at talking. And when his granny died, she left that house to him. Then, out of nowhere, this multifaceted young and became a grown Baptist minister. Still ministering today. And still doing stuff with that whiskey house. I think people don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jackson may be the only black Southern Baptist preacher who part of the NRAA, National Rifles of America Agency, or something like that. I tell you what, if good old Abraham Lincoln had a twin who was black, he would be Jackson Roosevelt Jones. Old Jackson ain't nowhere as honest as they say Abe was, but he tall like him and mysterious looking like him too. All he needs is a top hat and a full beard, and they will be Ebony and Ivory Twins. But Jackson, a black age, as the street folk call him, done too much dirt to even be an elected official. But he got a big old church somehow, and with it he got him a big old house and some pretty fancy wheels to go along with it. Mind you, that big old house ain't got nobody living in it but him. Yep, his family, a whole other story. Too, too much to get into right now, but I tell you what, though, I ain't no saint. But I just know how I just don't know how a reverend can take boys and men out to an old whiskey house, do whatever, and be married and still remain a reverend.
or maybe that's just what the church has come to nowadays. To top that off, the mayor of Lazarus, or should I say future Alabama congressman, who live in Lazarus, Mayor Samuel Justice, I believe that's his name, well, the name he's going by today anyway, he somehow got a hand in preserving that old whiskey house too. He's a career politician, so politics, money, and prosperity is what the mayor believe in altogether. And it's like a comedy show, because all this couldn't be no funnier. See, there's an old saying around Lazarus, once you enter the whiskey house, if you should ever make it out, your life goes south. Now, Lazarus, police wasn't going to have too many boys of color on the force back in the day, and even now, but every now and then, one would show up. That handsome fella, a detective, old detective Brock Taylor, his name, a good man. He was an advocate for helping disadvantaged youth and children. I once did some woodwork for his folk back in the 80s. I knew that little rascal was going to make it. He reminded me of Julius Caesar with that ambition of his. The Taylors expected big things from both their boys. Brock and his baby brother, Pierre. Old Brock set the example with good grades, doing good in sports, making his mom and daddy proud. And they expected the same from the baby boy as well. Brock was a bright light shining in the community. And if there was any hope of solving the curse of the whiskey house, it laid in that fella's hand. Brock would die for a chance to tackle them freezing cold whiskey house cases. All right, that was an example of the narration from the character Rufus. But with that said, what in the world is a preacher doing owning a whiskey house? How is his congregation letting Reverend Jones get away with it in the Bible Belt? How is anyone going to be able to tame or stop the curse without sacrificing their own well-being? Because once you enter the whiskey house, if you should ever come out, your life goes south, right? Why hasn't the mayor shut that whiskey house down? Does the mayor himself have a vested interest in the whiskey house? And what kind of activities could a preacher possibly be engaging in in that whiskey house? Again, my name is poet author Mark Lacey, and my book is called Curse of the Whiskey House, When Life is the Principle and Death is the Practice. The book is purchasable via marklacy.com, M-A-R-C-L-A-C-Y.com, and Amazon.com uh, via trade paper paperback or Kindle format. Enjoy Curse of the Whiskey House. Thank you. Okay, family. So that was the first book in the Whiskey House trilogy. We now have Mark Lacey, friend, to the show live to discuss the latest book. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hey, good evening. Doing very well. How about you? I'm doing great. I had myself on mute while the reading was taking place. I was cracking up. You were hilarious reading as that character. Right, right. Yeah, Rufus, that's my guy. I mean, he is a very unique uh, narrator, and in my humble opinion, he carries the series. He is funny. So, Mark, how many books at this point, poetry, uh, the whiskey house, the, the the fiction, the poetry, all of them, how many books do you have now? I have a total of uh, 13 publications. Wow. And I can remember the first book. <laughs> so, Mark, <laughs> do you still make 
the spoken word CDs that you were making some years ago? Well, uh, I, I'm still performing spoken word live at uh, select shows, but, um, you know, the formats have changed over the years, and, you know, now everybody's doing uh, the digital download thing or the streaming uh-huh. thing. So uh-uh. uh, I've not produced any physical uh, CDs uh, since my uh, motivational series that came out in 2016, uh, Fly High, Fly Long, Fly Fast. Uh, however, all of my uh, spoken word and, and motivational work, audio recordings rather, are uh, downloadable where music is found all over the place on the Internet. So, uh, But um, I've not produced any uh, physical CDs uh, since my uh, 2016 production. Okay, so Mark, I heard from a little bird that you have cleared the vault. Your poetic vault has all been published. Tell us about that in the series where we could get them, how many books. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the poetic vault has been emptied uh, uh, many years in the making, uh, and it finally took the uh, dealing with the pandemic uh, to get me to focus on it enough to go ahead and get it released. Uh, the, the Poetic Vault series, which I titled Clairvoyance, is comprised of seven uh, books, of which uh, they are titled uh, Requiem, Geometry, um, Expose, Ammunition, Crescendo, uh, Beatific Ambrosia, and um, the last one, which is, um, oh, Enraptured Felicity. So the last two are actually love poetry books, which feature cover models from the city of Huntsville, the Beatific Ambrosia and uh, Enraptured Felicity. So uh, that completes the poetry vault. And I said after the vault was uh, completed, I probably would not produce uh, or or a public, excuse me, any more poetic works. However, I will still uh, perform poetry and spoken word, and uh, I will devote all of my um, writing energy to uh, fiction. And um, if everything goes according to plan, I will have a book of quotes uh, coming out as well. Oh, you know what? Let me um, – I have a – actually, I have a surprise poetic uh, publication, which is probably going to be the final one that's coming out in February. Uh, stay tuned for more details on that. I can't say anything too much about it now, but that will be the absolute uh, last uh poetic work that I publish, and I say that now, uh, but I am going to focus my efforts on, uh, you know, fiction thrillers and maybe uh, a one or two nonfiction works. Okay. So I'm excited about anything that you put out. So I'll be looking forward to it and can't wait to share that with my band radio show, show audience and EDC creations. So, Mark, how did you trans 
transition from poetry and spoken word into writing these detailed 3D, three-dimensional fiction books mm-hmm. the, in the Whiskey House trilogy? Well, I... I had actually been doing flash fiction all along. When I was in grade school, um, my teachers noticed that I had a knack for short stories. However, uh, you know, I came into the game doing poetry and spoken word when uh, nationally and worldwide, and when you think about the advent of HBO Deaf Poetry Jam in 2001, you know, poetry and spoken word were like really peaking. And so, um, and then, you know, not too long after that, it hit a valley or what have you. But um, uh, during that time, uh, as I was uh, working on my my poetry and my spoken word, I was still doing flash fiction. And then my official segue was uh, the Wretched Saints book that came out in 2010, which is a collaboration of uh, fiction short stories. And uh, I co-authored that book with Ashanta Faye Howard, and um, I think there are about uh, 16 uh, fiction short stories in that book, and that was my official segue. Um, well, from a publication standpoint, I had been writing, but the you know, the world only knew me as poet Mark Lacey. Uh-huh. So, and then. Um, in 2015, finally, I got my concept off the ground with the Whiskey House Trilogy, uh, and that being the first book of the trilogy, Curse of the Whiskey House, uh, being published uh, during that time. And thus, that was my first official novel, fiction novel. So, And ever since then, um, I've uh, been pretty consistent with the fiction, but I had to get that vault emptied. Uh, couldn't have all that poetry just sitting in there for no reason. So uh, I that, love that it. is the main and reason I emptied it. I love it, and I know poetry fans across the country are happy to get such a collection at that great price all at one time, and then they can just savor it a little at a time. So tonight we're here to discuss the latest book in the Whiskey House trilogy. Tell our audience Mm -hmm. the title of the three books and then take us right into the new book and what's happening and what's happening with the motorcycle gang, the town. The town is is as much of a character as the people. So take us into all that that makes the Whiskey House trilogy live outside the pages. Okay, so uh, the three books are Curse of the Whiskey House, uh, which was published in 2015, Viral Transgressions, 2018, and The Ghost of Ace Honeycutt, 2023. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, there's a fictitious uh, small town uh, in the state of Alabama right outside the city of Birmingham called Lazarus. And um, Lazarus is uh, known to be a church-going town. However, uh, things seem like a big oxymoron because it has the notorious whiskey house, and it used to uh, one of the biggest money makers for uh, the city of Lazarus and Hawthorne County used to be the Whiskey Stop. And uh, that had been since condemned and closed down. However, you still got the Whiskey House, 
out uh, in the Hawthorne County woods, which was uh, originated by Lula Mae Gertha Jones. That's the uh, the grandmother of uh, the late Reverend Jackson Jones, who was the pastor of Central Baptist. And, of course, uh, not to give too much of the game away, uh, due to uh, the shenanigans going on at the Whiskey House um, and Jackson Jones, uh, he found himself in a situation in which he felt he had to kidnap somebody, and that was the uh, cousin of Ace Honeycutt. And uh, Jackson Jones lost his life uh, during uh, the first book, The Curse of the Whiskey House. And so, um, and not only did Jackson Jones lose his life, um, Ace Honeycutt lost his life as well. However, uh, due to the curse and uh, the byproducts of the curse, uh, the town feels like they are haunted by Ace Honeycutt. And so uh, in Viral Transgressions, which is the second book, um, you know, there are a lot of vi- computer viruses going around, phone viruses, people having nightmares, and everybody thinks that it's uh, Ace Honeycutt, right? And, uh, you know, whether a person, you know, believes in that stuff or not, that's what's being, you know, promoted by the media. They feel it's Ace Honeycutt, and they feel that until the curse ends, uh, they feel they're going to be uh, haunted by, you know, the ghost of Ace Honeycutt, which is the title of the third novel. And uh, go, the, everybody is so uh, paranoid about the ghost of Ace Honeycutt, uh, they're allowing this thing, and again, I'm not going to give too much of the game away, to wreak havoc in the town. Now, it's not. Now, let me say that it's not a ghost story. This is not a series of, you know, not it, it. It it is a fiction thriller series with a touch of paranormal in it, or paranormality, or what have you. But uh, the town is still uh, going through upheaval uh, because of the shenanigans that were going on in the whiskey house, and um, and everybody feels that until the curse. Uh, actually ends, then uh, they're going to be haunted by Ace Honeycutt. Now, um, rumor has it that one way to end the curse, uh, according to Rufus, uh, uh, one of the narrators, is that uh, the life of one of the people who introduced the curse uh, has to be taken. And rumor has it that is Mayor Justice, the sickly mayor, who uh, pretty much has a financial hold on everything coming in and out of Lazarus, the city of Lazarus. And so according to Rufus, uh, unless the mayor is taken out himself, then um, it's going to appear that uh, Ace Honeycutt is going to continue wreaking havoc on the town. So um, also, not only do they feel that the mayor needs to be taken out, but they feel like the whiskey house itself needs to be destroyed. And the mayor is trying to preserve the whiskey house. So uh, that pretty much is the main conflict uh, in the ghost of Ace Honeycutt. How 
can they take out the mayor and also destroy the whiskey house to end the curse? Okay. Well, I'm excited for you to read from uh, the Ghost of Ace Honeycutt. So are you prepared to read a segment for us? Um, I wasn't initially, but I can make myself prepared. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so I'm going to speak to the audience, and you let me know when you're ready. Okay. So, uh, Bay and Radio Show listeners and people who are joining us for Black Books Weekend, this is our annual event that plays a big role of bringing readers and authors together in the literary community. It brings together hundreds of individuals from different genres as authors and from different areas as readers, book clubs, bookstore owners, librarians. All of these people come together to dedicate their time and resources so that we can present great books, in a beautiful light, these books are meant to potentially uplift, educate, and inspire us and to be given as gifts. So not tonight, now, we're speaking with Mark Lacey. Mm-hmm. He's the author of the Whiskey House Trilogy. Okay, so I'm going to be reading from uh, uh, Chapter 1, uh, which is called Spin Cycle. Man, okay. Zero, when you when you told me about the club, I was excited initially because I felt a sense of brotherhood, and it gave me a good excuse to get my new Harley out of the garage. And my old lady didn't ask me a thousand questions about it. But, man, now I just don't know. Gunny, I told you, when you got out of the Marine Corps, we were going to go all out with this. I practically watched my cousins get burned alive trying to get Ace some justice. I witnessed the tension with the Whiskey House boys as they feuded about loyalty and honor as the Unknown Fellowship ruined many lives. The Spooky Prophet's MC is the only way. Well, I don't mind raging against the establishment as much as I was promised when I went into the service, but... Nothing to show for it? Damn Skippy. Then these folks going to give me a dishonorable discharge after a freak corporal accused me of sexual misconduct too? See, that's what I'm talking about right there. We need your energy, Gunny. I'm, I'm going to give the SPs all I can for as long as I can. Nah, Doc, you in for life. You know the deal said Zero with a sly smirk on his I hear you, boss. I do hear you, replied Gunny as he attempted to appear confident in front of Zero and the rest of the SPs as they entered the clubhouse to have church. The Friday evening temperature was sweltering as the spooky prophets engaged in a mandatory weekly meeting. Aromas from the mosquito mist dominated the area uh, in and around the Hawthorne County Turnpike as the sun was not fully set. The motorcycle club or gang, as many of the onlookers referred uh, to this particular bunch, had the city of Lazarus on pins and needles. Citizens were fatigued, faith-weary, and still emotional from the rioting and acts of terror from the previous fall. While Lazarus was trying to find its way, 
The land bore semblance uh, to a desolate environment in which serious vacuums were created with the annihilation of city leadership. It was an act of terror that put the finishing touches on any hint of order the city formerly had. However, with so many departments lacking personnel from the latest incident, the void was filled by a powerful force, the Spooky Prophets, or the SPs. The local media compri- uh, compared the uprise of the SPs to that of ISIS in the Middle East. They did a lot of preparatory work underground, and then when they came out, they really came out. The SPs, whose region is central Alabama, had to gain the blessing of the dominant motorcycle club in the area, Lucifer's Undertakers, to even form. But the LUs made it clear that they would not be involved in the SP shenanigans because the area was simply too hot, and the LUs had to deal with their own drama. With the, def- with the deficit of law enforcement in Hawthorne County, the SPs were able to mark their local territory with very little resistance. They collected fees and taxes from certain legit and illegit business people as if they were the landlords. Certain hustlers, peddlers, proprietors, and entrepreneurs had to pay up in order to keep from feeling the wrath of the SPs. As church commenced, the SPs gathered around their makeshift altar as the club president, Zero, said a prayer to the golden statue encircled by candles that was, that was created in the likeness of the late ace. While Zero spoke, a couple of the newest members of the SPs were taken aback as they viewed this uh, act as worship idol gods. Little did they know this seance-esque mystical ritual also made the veteran members uncomfortable as well. Amen. Now let's all say the spooky prophet creed in unison. I promise to honor, uplift, and celebrate the name and legacy of Ace Honeycutt, so help me God, even if it costs me my life. I will avenge each and every injustice committed against Ace, his family, and all affiliates. I will not cease until the enemy has received proper retribution for all its transgressions committed. I will don the green and black and never let Igor down. Amen. So uh, this, uh, the, eight, the ghost of Ace Honeycutt uh, has a motorcycle club in it called the Spooky Prophet. And they have one mission, to avenge Ace's death. And of I course, love the uh, Spooky Prophets. They are a mess. Yes, they are. And, and so, and you understand, like, when you ever, whenever you have, like, a, a group, a motorcycle group like that, and they're they've known they're they're known to do the things that they've done. Uh, it's always going to be hot, right? When I say it's hot, the police are always going to be clocking them, and so they have to. Um, they're trying to avenge Ace's uh, death the street way. However, you got some good Samaritans who are trying to uh, do it an, an honorable way. So there are a whole lot of conflicts and clashes going on in this book. And um, everybody, every group has its endeavor, its own personal goal. But at the end of the day, everybody wants the curse to end and pretty much the, the whiskey house to be destroyed. 
So, Mark, how can readers go about getting all of your books, the poetry books, and how can they get this series, the Whiskey House Trilogy? Okay, good question. Uh, all of the books are available um, in trade paperback and ebook format on Amazon.com or MarkLacy.com. That's M-A-R-C-L-A-C-Y.com. Okay. So, Mark, thank you for joining us and for always supporting the EDC Creations Network. I hope you have a happy holiday, and we'll be promoting uh, the Whiskey House Trilogy throughout the month of December, and we are looking forward to hearing and seeing whatever is coming forth in 2024. All right. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Okay, and so I'll take it from here. So, Band Radio Show family, that was Mark Lacey. I actually have read this series. I was taking a little mental health break back in October, and I downloaded the books, and I read them all. And when I tell you, I have never laughed. So much. Mark is an excellent writer, and the books are very three-dimensional, not boring, not one minute of boredom. Uh, The book just keeps escalating, escalating. It's an amazing series, three-book series. So I will be sharing graphics during Black Books Weekend with QR codes that go directly to Amazon for the series, and I'll also be sharing Mark's website. So thank you for joining us and listening to Mark Lacey. Next up, we have a pre-recorded interview with Lauren Wilson. It is from her book lunch, so take a listen. We're here tonight to discuss Afro Bougie Blues, a collection of short fiction by Lauren Wilson. Tonight is going to be a fabulous show. Lauren will be on the show for the first time tonight, but she's family here at Band Radio Show, and I can't wait to hear her read from her new book. Lauren Wilson is a safety consultant who is occasionally visited by a muse that allows her to write amazing stories. It only happens a few times a year, but it's a wonderful experience. In her spare time, she's a reader of sci-fi alien encounters, U.K. historical mysteries, and stories about vampires and werewolves. One of their favorite things to do is to drive four hours into the Poconos Mountains in PA and visit the Cove Haven Couples Resort. It's a long way in order to play air hockey, but it's worth it. Lauren and her husband, Howard, love watching stand-up comedy videos, and he has recently started finding online joke videos that they can laugh at together. They have one dog, a pit bull named Petey, who is a major bed hog. So join me in welcoming Lauren Wilson to Band Radio Show as we discuss Afro Bougie Blues, a collection of fiction by Lauren Wilson. 
Okay. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to have you here for your first time on Band Radio Show. I am so looking forward to hearing about Afro Bougie Blues. Well, I can't wait to tell you about it. It's It's been a long time in coming, and I really am proud of it. I have put it together with all of my heart and soul just bursting out of the pages. So, Laura, is this the first book you've written, or is this the first book that you published? Well, here's the thing. This is my only book. I have, it's a collection of 12 short stories that I've been writing over the past several years, maybe 15 years, and I've put them all together in one collection, and that's what Afro Bougie Blues is. It's just one collection of several stories. Love it, love it. Where did you get that name? The name is so cute. (laughs) It's hard to explain, but it's just. (laughs) A kind of putting together of the essence of what the stories are about. They're about black people, but they're also about people who are not dealing with problems having to do with money. These are people who have other kinds of problems, very deep, painful problems, but they're not because they don't have money. So to me, these were Bougie blues. These were the kind of things that, you know, they still hurt. They're still hard. And I wanted to come at it from that perspective, that everybody has the blues, and it doesn't matter if you have money, you can still get the blues. I get that. I get that, and I can see it. For some reason, when I think about the title, every time I say the title of that book, why do I see Taraji dancing around in the tra- in the trail, <laughs> doing a book trail? I see Taraji for some reason. <laughs> every time I think about the title of that book. Okay, so where did your love for creating books or storytelling come from? Well, I'll tell you, the whole thing started when I had a need to explore the different sides of abortion. I was pro-abortion for many years, and then all of a sudden I realized it really is taking a life. And I wanted to explore the whole idea of somebody who had had an abortion when she was young, and was coming to terms with the fact that that really had meaning. And when I wrote the story, and I realized that I could write powerful stories, it just kind of took off. And I realized that I could explore other dilemmas in human life and talk about them and put them down on paper in such a way that you could really feel what somebody was going through that you could have empathy for them, that you could experience perhaps what made it hard for them. And that was really what I was creating when I wrote my stories. 
I like that. And I love when a book uh, is based off a controversial topic because that gets people talking. It puts something on the table for book clubs and readers to talk about. I love that. Um, and especially right now that that topic is on, on the table um, because of legislation, because of laws, and it's a lot of people talking about it. So I think this will do well. So well, how long yeah. did you take the book? How long did it take to write the book? And what did your writing process look like? Ten years to pull together all of the stories. Wow. Writing process is very unusual. It's very rare for me to write a short story. I'm mentally ill. I have bipolar disorder with extreme mood swings. And when I'm in my manic phase, when I it's kind of like being high. Just having this amazing feeling like you can do anything in the world. And For me, it's like being visited by a muse. And she comes and she says, let's write a story. And all of a sudden, a story just blooms in my head, and all I can think of to do is just write it down. And it takes about three to five hours of just straight writing. And... Then it's done, and then it's spent, and there it is. And the muse might be there for another day or two, and I could get another story out, but usually she's gone, and it hurts. I miss her. And so I wait for her to show up again, and it might take a couple of months. It might take a year. And then I go through it all again, and I love it, and then she's gone. And that's just how it kind of works. Oh, wow. So you don't have the choice or opportunity to, like, plan out the plot or characters. You just kind of let her take full control and just follow that path? Yep. Okay, so I mean, now I can understand why this is a collection of short fiction, because at different times, different things are relevant. Yes. Okay, so introduce us to the book, tell us about the book, and then introduce us to the characters. Okay. Now, there are... 12 different stories, so there are several different characters. They're all different. They're all different people. So I'm going to introduce you to a few of them. The first book is about Alexis, and she's coming to terms with having her abortion. She's in her late 30s. She's married to the love of her life, and she's desperate to have a baby. Before she got married, her coworkers thought she was an ice queen dedicated to her career, not interested in romance. It just took the right man. Next is Bebe. 
She's also in her 30s, and she's 350 pounds. And she's horrified that she's gotten so big, even though her husband is okay with it. And she's determined she's going to lose the weight. And so she embarks on this major lifestyle change. She goes to veganism to take the weight off. And every aspect of her life changes in ways she never expected. And she plows through it all determined to create a life for herself that's fulfilling. Now, Rodney is in his 50s. He's career military, and he saw some horrible things that he doesn't know how to deal with, so he drinks. And he drinks so that he won't relive what he's seen and what he's done. And he's barely functioning, but he realizes that he needs to get beyond this, and he decides to take baby steps towards some peace. Then there's Joan. Joan is also in her 40s. She has three children. Her husband has given her a wonderful life, but it all comes crashing down when her son is arrested for selling drugs. And she's about to realize that she's been naive, secluded, and sheltered on purpose by her husband and her family, and she has to decide if she wants to see her family as they are or only let herself see them as they wanted her to. Then there's Derek. He's a single custodial parent of a teenage girl who is starting to ask some tough questions about life and love. And he is a bit late to be having a birds and bees talk with his daughter. He has been dreading it. But he is trying to do the right thing because his daughter needs to hear it from her father's perspective, from a man's perspective. And then there's Tajaris, and she's in her mid-50s. She's divorced with grown kids, and she's trying to figure out the dating scene. And she's not always self-confident, and she's trying to figure out how to move forward with this man who's truly interested in her. And then the last one I'll tell you about is Deirdre. Deirdre is in her 30s. She's married to a man who regularly cheats on her. But she's pretty much happy with her life, her husband, her job, her kids until she meets a woman who ignites feelings that she's never had before. She is completely unprepared to see herself as anything but straight, and it takes her time to decide if she wants to be with another woman. So hopefully that gives you some idea of what the characters are like. I love it. I love it. There's so much diversity here. So each story is different. Each story deals with a different challenge. Each story deals with a challenge that is coming to us, one that, you know, you might hear about or maybe seeing others go through. Uh, so I'm gathering from your introduction of the characters that the book will discuss abortion, alcoholism, adultery, first love, incarceration, death of a parent, Domestic violence, older dating, and facing your karma. Uh, 
So I, all of that, do you have a personal connection to the story or any of the characters? I have a personal collection to a lot of them. It's not that I've had each experience, but I know what it's like to have an abortion. I know what it's like to be overweight. I know people who've had children who are incarcerated. I have people in my life who have military experience. I know what it's like to lose a parent. And in fact, one of the stories, the only story in the book about losing a father is 100% true. Okay. So now I can relate to, let's see. I can relate to every single, I think I can relate to every single topic in your book. <laughs> wow, you have I, lived. I think I can, I, I can because I definitely know firsthand about abortions. A lot of my family members when I was children was alcoholics, a lot of the men when I was younger. I've been on both sides of adultery. <laughs> I have. My father died when I was young, and my parents was experienced domestic violence. I'm older dating right now. <laughs> and I think I may have faced karma several times. So I think that as readers, we're going to be able to relate to several of the stories, if not by personal experience, but much like you said, knowing someone. So I can't wait to see your take on these. <laughs> no problem. So are any of the characters based on real people? They may have started out that way. I may have known somebody who had a similar experience, but no, they're fictional. Okay, and so that makes it even more so because you can resolve the struggles. <laughs> yes. You you can fix it for them. Sometimes in life we don't get to fix things. I think that's one of the things that made ending the story tough for me is because stories are supposed to have an end. And it, it's really hard to explain, but finding a point for the story to end was very difficult because life doesn't just end. Exactly. Exactly. Now I wanna make I wanna make this announcement. Um, I see there are quite a few callers on the phone for Lauren Wilson discussing the book Afro Bougie Blues. So callers, I am so excited uh to have you all join us here on Band Radio Show. And I want to open the phones and let each and every one of you speak to Lauren today. So here's how it works. I will call out the first six numbers of your phone number. I will never call out the whole phone number. And I will open the phone lines, 
and you can speak with Lauren as long as you would like, or you can ask Lauren questions about Afro Bougie Blues. You can share your reviews, your thoughts, your praise. So I'm going to ask Lauren at this time to read from the book Afro Bougie Blues, a collection of short fiction by Lauren Wilson. And after she reads, I'm going to start opening the phone lines, and you can speak to Lauren for as long as you like and share whatever comes across your mind, your thoughts, your reviews. So here we go. So, Lauren, uh, have you prepared some part of the book to read to us? I'm going to read the story, Her Question, and it starts like this. Dad, I need to ask you a question. Aisha stood in the doorway of the den, decked out in a purple T-shirt and matching pajama bottoms, wondering if her father had hurt her. Unfortunately, Derek's attention was elsewhere. The Pittsburgh Steelers were up three points against the Baltimore Ravens, and Derek's eyes were glued to the TV screen. As the only Steelers ran at his office, Derek had bet $50 against the Ravens given the game added importance. In the back of his mind, Derek realized this might be the question, the million-dollar question about boys he'd been dreading since the day Aisha's mother had left three years ago. Aisha had been 10, and he had three years to think of an answer, and he was still unprepared, and he wanted to watch the game. If the question is about boys, the answer is simple. Leave them alone. If it's any more complicated than that, we can talk after the game. The Ravens scored a touchdown but miraculously missed the field goal, 13-10 to 10 Ravens. Derek's money was running the wrong way down the field. He cradled the remote like a pacifier and grabbed a handful of Fritos from the table on the side of the recliner. It's kind of serious, Dad. Derek began thinking about Aisha. She had stopped wearing cornrows when her mother left, and now she had a thick, long ponytail. She had developed huge breasts two years ago, and he had his sister Janet take her bra shopping. This year, Aisha had started her period, and he'd added Kotex to the monthly shopping list. She'd even started buying makeup with her allowance, hoping to mask the acne that had bloomed on her soft brown face. Janet swore that allowing a 13-year-old girl to wear makeup was a sign of weakness on his part, but Derek allowed it, deciding instead to put his foot down on low-cut tops and booty shorts. Luckily, those fashion statements weren't as big of an issue in autumn. Maybe 13 wasn't too early for the question. Is it about homework? There was a flag on the plane. The Steelers gained first down after a lousy pass, and it was third quarter, and anything could happen. Derek hoped it was a homework question. No, Dad, it's okay. I'll talk to Jada. Aisha bounded up the stairs to her room. Sirens went off in Derek's brain. Jada was a provocative little hoe to beat. 
She wore heels that made her booty sway in a way a 13-year-old's booty didn't need to be swaying. Her breasts exploded out of her shirts, not that they were buttoned to the top anywhere. Theta wasn't someone Aisha needed to discuss the question with. At the first commercial break, Derek dropped the remote in the recliner and sprinted up the stairs. What do you think? I love it. I was getting into it. I'm like, no, don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting. You noticed the break. I I was waiting, hoping that you were just taking a breath of fresh air and was going to continue. (laughs) That was it. Okay. So, now, I have read all the reviews on the book, and it seems that people really, really love Deidre and Joan, and I even found that a lot of people like Bebe. So, if you had, oh, wait, let me, most of the reviews are about Alexis. Most of the reviews are, reviews are about her and making those tough choices in her early life. So if you had to pick one of the 12 characters, which one would you say you like the most? Probably Bebe. Bebe, okay. She's the one that's 30, in her 30s, she's married and weighs 350 pounds, and she chooses to become a vegan, right? Right. But then every aspect of her life changes in ways she never expected. So, okay, now let's ask your callers who their favorite characters were. So I'm going to open the phone lines now, and you can speak to Lawrence for as long as you like. And I'm going to start start with a caller from 443-910-443. Nine one zero. Welcome to Band Radio. Thank you. It's Harriet. Hi, Harriet. Yeah. Hi, Lauren. I'm so pleased, and it's so interesting that the story you chose to read is the one that had the most impact on me. I was going through my brain, trying to figure out all the great things I would say about the book. It's a great read. It's a quick read. It's a good beach read. And I encourage anyone with any interest in all those areas to buy the book. But the story you chose to read was the one that had the most impact on me because I remember reading it and him bounding up the stairs to talk to her, to his daughter. And the reason why the story has so much impact on me was because the father says, says all the right things. And it was so refreshing you know, um, this, this, this book is so focused on female empowerment, and I really appreciate that. But it was refreshing to see a story written from the perspective of a male who wasn't being being bashed. You know, and, you know, it's so easy to do male bashing nowadays, you know. But you don't take the easy way out, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm so in love with this book, I, I can't tell you. And also, another thing that impressed me was uh, when you were talking about your writing process, talking about being bipolar, 
and being affected by a muse who, who guided you basically creatively, it's such a, an honest and refreshing take, you know. It's, I'm sure you're not the first person who's been, been led by such a muse, but it's so refreshing to hear you talk about it. And it makes, it makes the book all that more intriguing. The characters are so rich. I could go on and on and babble, but I'm so in love with this book. In fact, hearing about it again, I read it when it first came out. And and now hearing about the characters again, I'm going to go back and read it for a second time. <laughs> That's how much I love the book. So So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. And thank you for having Lauren on. I encourage everyone to, to buy Bougie Boos. It's great. Great book. Thank you, Harriet. Love you, Lauren, and so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you, Harriet, for coming on. And I love when readers are just as excited about the book as the author has been. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back and read it again. <laughs> so did you really did you really like the story about Alexis? Uh a lot of the people really spoke about Alexis in their reviews. Did that story touch you? It did and it touched me not because I could really relate to the circumstances, but because I could relate to Lauren's insight into character development. That's what really. Mm-hmm. That's what I really related to. I can't say I've been through everything that everyone in the book has been through, but from a human perspective, I can I can just relate. Ah, such depth and really, really depth. Really, yeah. Okay. I do that. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us on Band Radio Show, and I hope you'll come back each Monday and Wednesday night to hear more new authors discuss their books. I hope to come back soon myself. This is a wonderful forum for for budgeting authors. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. Okay. So, Band Radio family, there you have it. This completes day one of Black Book Weekend. We will be here each night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we'll wrap it up on Monday. Please go out and tell at least 10 people about tonight's show and go on social media and meet the authors and purchase their books. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll see you right back here tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on Band Radio, we pick up with the second day, and the second day is all about business owners, entrepreneurs, and creators. Thank you, and enjoy your evening.